Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends all around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also called Alex by those who know me. Hopefully that's you. And uh, I am joined this week by my good Keyforge pals. It's SC Steel. Hey, yo. And Boulevard Blake, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, man? Not too much, not too much. I'm excited for today's episode because uh, this is this is one of those times where we get to like focus in on something very like narrow, but that has bigger implications across the game of Keyforge, and really sort of dissect it from a couple of different angles. I was excited when sort of in our group chat this one started to take shape because it got me thinking about different ways to uh, to talk about this particular topic. But before we get there, briefly wanted to mention something that was uh, came up on Reddit today in one of the Keyforge groups. It was noted that uh, fan sets which is a company that makes enamel pins, is going to be working with Fantasy Flight to make some Keyforge character pins, enamel pins that you can buy. And immediately my mind started going, oh, geez, like what character would I want? Mine's pretty obvious. I want a Fuzzy Gruen pin. I would love to be able to rock <laughs> that on my jacket next to the uh, the Help from Future Self uh, pin that Blake got me low those many years ago from a prize wallet of Vault Tour. Thank you still so much for that, Blake. Of course. Uh, Still rocking that on my jean jacket. But I got to ask y'all, what character would you want an enamel pin that you would rock on on your jean jacket or whatever other sortorial uh, uh, delights that uh, you happen to wear on the regular? I think it would be super, super cool to have uh, Tamwa of the Glow or its evil twin. Uh, just the, the brightness Ooh. and the unfathomable being the newest house I think would be kind of cool because I already actually have some pins from previous uh, previous houses because of previous Vault Tour enamel pins. But I really think that uh, something from unfathomable would be awesome. Yes. Um, for me, this was an easy one. I want Archimedes in a pin. Like I have mm. always loved that art. I wish it was in a mat. So if that cannot be done as a mat, then <laughs> I want it done as an enamel pin because it's uh, just one of my favorite characters. I like me some owls. Yeah, I, I expect that we'll see some interesting choices uh, across the different sets. I honestly have no idea if there's like popular characters in Keyforge. It's a thing that I've never really thought about. Like, obviously, mm. I'm a big Gruen fan, and that seems to be a thing that a lot of people like feel a certain kind of way about. But like, are there other characters that people have like a specific attachment to? Ronnie, for sure. Mm. I feel like Ronnie yeah. and Urchin are two ones that would probably be pretty popular. Yeah, there was another untamed creature that came out, and I'm blanking on its name, but people were thinking that this would be the Gruen Killer because it was also super adorable. But I know there's a line of cats that people are all about. I find mm -hmm. that offensive. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that the example they had to show like a, a like, I guess a prototype that they were going to use was the science officer Moon from Star Alliance, which I always yes. found so bizarre as the leading character for for Star Alliance, even when like the first mats came out for Worlds Collide, I was like, no one, I don't think anyone bought that because it was such a an unutilized character within the game. Like not only did you not see it very frequently in decks, mm -hmm. it wasn't mm -hmm. all that like, um, didn't have an impact, let's just say. So I found that very yeah. odd that that one keeps being used. Oh yeah, Val Jericho was a missed opportunity there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Val Jericho who gets quoted on so many cards. Right? 
you know, yeah. who is an incredible card that everybody loves, like arguably the best leader, like with like a couple of people maybe in contention, you know, just mm-hmm. just uh, absolute and like literally the captain, the captain yeah. of the, right, the, right. the starship. Like, what else could you possibly want? I'm hoping for a Val Jericho card. That would be something that I would like to see. But we're not here to talk about Val Jericho or uh, enamel pins today. We're here to talk about a card that is. As you put it in our group chat, Blake, a bit of a boogeyman. We're here to talk about Infernus. In case you are a new player of the game, maybe you've only played Coda, maybe you've only played Dark Tidings, and you're not familiar with Infernus from uh, its appearances in other sets. It is a discard. It is four-power creature, and it has the following text on it. Play, purge up to two cards from a discard pile. Your opponent loses amber equal to the number of amber bonus icons on the purged cards. So you're getting two things out of playing an Infernus. You are getting to purge two cards, either from your own discard or your opponent's discard. And your opponent, regardless of which discard you choose to uh, purge from, loses amber equal to the number of amber pips on those cards. So here's the thing that I'm going to start off by saying. I've seen a few people argue that Infernus is arguably the most unbalanced card in the history of the game. Like, literally, it's it's the most unbalanced, more so than Bader Switch, more so than, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tribute. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree that Infernus is, in a vacuum and by itself, the most unbalanced card in the history of Keyforge? Sydney? Not at all. Yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with Sydney on this one. All right. I would agree with both of you on that. Um, what about not in a vacuum? What about in the context of the sets in which it has appeared? I think that in mass mutation it is actually much, much more effective. So maybe it gained a lot of power in mass mutation, but to be honest, a lot of cards are gaining power in different sets based on things that have popped up. So I think something like like Guilty Hearts from Coda actually having an effect later on because of, of armor and wards and stuff like that. So I and capture and exalting. So I think that it's it's not that it's still the worst craziest most insane card in the game but it does get more power in mass mutation it also though i think um it gains power but like as you said set by set it it alters so in worlds collide i think the most degenerate version of infernus exists which is triple infernus with hysteria i think that's the thing that really got people feeling like this card is unbalanced because if you're able to just purge essentially in one turn you could potentially purge 12 cards um, I think that's that's what gets people feeling that way. So, I mean, yeah, it, it does feel pretty bad if that does happen to you. But for some reason, for me, whenever I go against Infernus, I always find it to be a nuisance and never like, oh, this is broken. The game, the game's over. I've never had that feeling. It more just is like, this is annoying and you deal with it. But it's never really made me feel that this is so broken. Like, I can't I can't take this like it's awful. And. I think that the value it brings for countering so many other things within the game far outweighs than that one kind of niche sort of instance where it can really punish you. Yeah, I completely agree. The diminishing returns on Infernus, like let's say you do use it 12 times in one turn. As cool as a turn as that is, what 12 cards are you going to pick? Like by the time you're picking Mm -hmm. your 10th, 11th, 12th card, you're just picking what's available. And let's not forget that like, 
you know, purging two cards out of an opponent's discard or your own discard is just thinning a deck. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's a point where it's like, okay, you've taken away a bunch of your opponent's tools for when they cycle, but chances are you haven't taken away everything good. They still have the cards that are in their hand. They still have the cards that they haven't drawn yet from their deck. And you're just making sure that they're going to get to that stuff faster. So there, it's not like it's a completely like, you know, no downside or no drawback. Although I, I do agree that perhaps it's a slightly subtler one. Uh, than you might be anticipating based on on the power. It's a little weird to me um, because I agree with both of your statements quite a bit, um, especially Blake. I also genuinely find Infernus to be more of a nuisance than anything else. I have very few feel-bad experiences. I mean, yeah, I've, I've had the experience of somebody drops two Infernuses or three Infernuses and then drops a Hysteria and then drops them again immediately and, you know, completely takes me off of a key or, like, wipes out all the Amber that I've accumulated. But those have been so few and far between, and there's so many cards that, in the right scenario, can be as devastating that it's hard for me to feel totally, like, angry about Infernus specifically. What is it that you think specifically sets people off about Infernus? Why has it grown so much in sort of boogeyman status? Because it's not a new card. It first appeared in Worlds Collide. It was in Mass Mutation. It's been around for a couple of years at this point, but it seems like lately I've seen so many people talking about it like it's just this this terrible card that should never be reprinted, etc., etc. What, what do you think that is, or why do you think that is? Sydney, do you have a take on this one? I sure do. I think it's right, because Inf- <laughs> Infernus causes more field bad moments than a lot of other cards. So mm-hmm. Purge is this this nebulous place that other than so far one card in the game, cards don't return from a purged state. So you are literally losing cards. There's nothing you can do. These cards aren't going to cycle back. You're never going to see them again. And whether they were big to your strategy or a lot of amber pips, so they end up helping your your amber game, it's just much bigger feel-bad moment when you see a card leave your deck permanently than a lot of other crazy combos that your opponent can do. Yeah, I see, for me, I think that most of the people that are complaining are combo players because Infernus is the ultimate answer to combo players. Like, this is how you shut down the Martian Generosity key abduction combo. You get rid of one of those two pieces and suddenly you can no longer fire off the way that deck wants to and it really hurts it. It is the ultimate way to shut down a reoccurring combo. Like, if you... If you do, for example, and I know Alex will resonate with this one quite a bit, if someone's got the Glim Call lock going or the mm-hmm. uh, the Nature's Call Witch of the Eye scenario, and you purge that Nature's Call, you've suddenly shut down the combo from continuously being that degenerate combo itself. So it's almost like the lesser of two evils when you look at it. But I think you need something like that to exist or else those things can just run away with the game and it allows for people to be like, oh, if I bring this type of deck, I have to watch out for the Infernus matchup because that will shut down my deck and I'm dead in the water if that matchup comes up. And I think the fact that we are now getting a variety of things that are considered very like almost like degenerate combos or something, there's things that counter that. So you're having more opportunity for a variety of things to exist and present itself. Because back when we had just Coda and AOA, Mm -hmm. there was like a pretty niche set of things you were almost guaranteed to see at major tournaments. Like it it was very like almost like a net deck like you could count on these things existing and then there'd be a few outliers but now we have such a plethora yeah you'd always see genka you'd always see like and and occasionally like outlier things like heart of the forest or quixel yeah both of those are so slow they're not great for Mm -hmm. 
So I just think it's it's uh it's it's a really necessary thing that allows variety and it's just one of those things that that presents itself. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with you on that. Um that's a really interesting point Blake because Infernus is printed at common which means that it was a very easy card to find in your disc decks um in the uh sets that it was printed in Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation. And so, you know, obviously, as Sydney stated earlier, it was much more powerful in Mass Mutation just because there were so many extra bonus Amber Pips flying around in that set across so many different cards. But one of the things that I think is kind of fascinating is that it was a great Amber Control solution, and it was a great Amber Control solution that had the added bonus of being able to cripple combo decks. And, like, that that Lesser of Two Evils point is interesting to me because although we've acknowledged the fact that Infernus itself can be part of what we would perhaps call a degenerate combo with recurring <laughs> it over and over and over. And some decks are really built for that, right? Like Hysteria is an uncommon card. Infernus is a common card. It's not going to be that weird to see those things together in a given disc deck and probably Infernus and multiples or possibly Infernus and multiples. That's not, that's not like a weird fluky scenario to see them all together there. So despite that it does have just sort of this bonus of not just being amber control but also being this solution to a very specific problem um and that specific problem is one of the ones that's almost more feel bad in essence like it's not super fun to lose to a ganka deck it's not super fun to play against a ganka deck like it can be impressive. part of the forest yeah totally oh, oh, i hate that like don't yeah. even get me started <laughs> this game is over fast generally speaking <laughs> and to be um, fair it's actually hard to it, you probably wouldn't be able to deal with the Heart of the Forest deck with Infernus because the second that Heart of the Forest is on the table, it's in effect. It's not usually in the discard pile for Infernus to deal with. No. Yeah. Well, that's on the counter to that, though, there is far more um, artifact control now than when our Heart of the yes. Forest first came out. That's yep. the one difference. Very true. But we're agreed that Infernus is a powerful card. Like, it has two great powers. Its drawback is nil. And then, like, I don't want to, like, overstate the importance of this, but, like, it's a four-power creature on top of that. That's not the worst thing in the world either. Mm-hmm. No. Like, like it, I, it is I, harder to kill once it's there. It's like the recursion of other ways is not that easy. Yeah, true. Uh, like you, And I think it, something that makes it exponentially better, too, is that it doesn't di- dictate which discard pile. So if you have mm. pips in your own discard pile when your opponent's is at zero or you have cards in your deck that slow you down, or there are many reasons when you might want to get rid of something from your own deck, it's perfectly viable for you to do that. And I think that actually extends the power of Infernus. Yeah, I think the worst thing about Infernus is probably Infernus's art. Um, That's one of those just ones (laughs) where I look at it and I can't even figure out what's going on. Like, it's just, maybe at full size, the, the image is a lot more legible, but I look at it, and I'm like, I, I can't tell what's going on in this. Um, like I, it's a crazy. I always demon. think of a walnut, just like the insides <laughs> of a walnut when I see it. With that oh, said, yeah. that that is by uh, Kaya Montero, who's drawn a lot of truly amazing cards uh, for Keyforge. The artist that's responsible for Decilius and Philosophosaurus and Scullion Ooh. and uh, oh, wow. Rogue Ogre and Rock Hurling Giant and the Red Baron, all kinds of great cards. So no no offense intended to Kaya. I think it's just a fact that that particular image didn't reproduce well at card size. It's a beautiful walnut. Yes. <laughs> Sydney, you, you had some interesting points in the chat about Purge and like whether or not there actually is an answer to Purge. And it kind of is interesting to me to spin off from this conversation into that just because 
it is one of the most prominent purge cards that you're going to see in your average, you know, matchup. Absolutely. I think um, one of the cards that I, I kind of alluded to earlier that would be remiss if we didn't mention is mm. um, the artifact in Worlds Collide called Universal Recycle Bin. It has a pip on it and it says action, archive a purged card you own. So I, I own a Worlds Collide deck with this in it and it you would think that it would be scarier than it is, but all it does is make the, the person picking a purged card from your deck pick a little more carefully and it does allow for bringing cards back which removes a lot of the feel bad moments but that is the only card that i know of that can actually bring something back hopefully it's a mechanic that um uh ffg thinks about for future purge um dealing with but uh there's also other ways that you can deal with it and and i think that there are a handful of things that if you know you're facing an Infernus deck and you know it can cripple you, you have to consider strategies to deal with it, like managing your own discard pile or even possibly just rushing so fast that you cycle your deck so that your discard pile is zero. Or, you know, if you do end up ignoring it and making it so that you play your game no matter what, especially if you you don't usually end up cycling your deck, then all it's going to do is make one turn uh, an amber loss of some kind, which we always find in other amber control anyway. So where Infernus could could lose you to amber on a, an average basis, you, you might see more than that from an effervescent principle or any other scaling amber control. Mm. Yeah, that's is there a, a that's more interesting satisfying points. feeling than purging an infernus? <laughs> yes, purging two infernuses <laughs> <laughs> with an infernus. Exactly. <laughs> or infernus on infernus hate. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. E E. I, I could see that V and Alex play right there. The old totally. E -E. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of um, universal recycling bin paired actually with an infernus. I happen to have Ooh. one deck that has one. And it's it's a lot of fun because it's uh, it's got a legacy redacted mine and it has logos, which I actually think logos is the counter to Infernus because of all the archiving. So you can actually like save your cards, and then when you know you're about to cycle your deck, you can kind of pull things and allow yourself to have some control, which I think is one counter to purging. But nice. Universal recycling bin, I think, is is a very well thought out card. Um, maybe not in the fact that it's rare. I think it would have been better suited as an uncommon. And I'm hoping, like as um, Vault Boy said in our our chat, he was wondering if there'll ever be a solution to to purge cards that's more viable and more decks. And I'd love to see almost like a like how we saw almost like library access get made into library card. It was an action turned into an artifact. We do the reverse where Universal Recycling Bin now gets made into an action, but it's like a one-time effect that you get to use it instead of uh, multiple times. And obviously you're not always going to have purge cards. So I think it's going to be interesting. So it seems some sort of action card bring back purge cards, I think would be a really interesting decision with everything that's going on. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. I, I love that combo. Like ever since you first told me about that, that I purge my own cards and then I bring them back with universal recycle bin into my archive. So I have access to them again. It kind of actually um, uh, ties in weirdly with one of the things that I often think about when my opponent has a deck with one or more infernuses, which is the, I want them on the board. I don't mm, want them to yeah. be able, like, unless they have something very yes. obvious, like nature's call or something like that to get them back up off the board. I don't want them in their recycle bin. I want to save them. I have literally gone so far 
as to when my opponent had a low amount of cards in their deck and they were about to cycle and I was about to hit a board clear, I have warded a, a, a Infernus to prevent it from going into my opponent's <laughs> uh, nice. uh, uh, discard, which, you know, probably didn't win me a game, but it felt like one of those, you know, three-dimensional chess galaxy brain moves when I was doing it. So I was pretty proud of myself at that time. Let me ask you another question. If we see Dis come back in the next set, do you think Infernus as it currently stands is an okay card to reprint? Now, we have to, of course, add the caveat that we have no idea what the next set's going to look like, <laughs> what the power balance, what the theme of the set is going to be. But do you generally think that, you know, as it currently stands, Infernus is a card that need doesn't need a nerf and we could just literally have back in the game and it not cause a major upset or imbalance? I think that it coming back would mean a lot of the same things that it meant in Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation, where you simply have to find strategies to play around it. I wouldn't be upset if it came back. I just wouldn't be excited about it. Yeah, based on what I've kind of, I think we've seen as a pattern, I feel like it would be unlikely that card comes back. I feel like we'd see a little bit more Coda stuff return. Mm. Um, Yeah, I just, I just feel that if you kind of look at the way things cycle, I feel like we get a double and then a pause. I, except for, I guess, Nature's Call was the only one that went three for three. But other than that, I think we I've noticed there's been more of a um, a kind of a break in between cards in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I it wouldn't break my heart to see it in another set. It wouldn't break my heart not to see it in another set. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's certainly up there in terms of cards that I think are, are like in contention for if you were going to sit down and like draft a set based on cards that have already been printed and go like what's in the top 25 I think Infernus is easily in the top 25 arguably in the top 10 um you know I actually I would say probably guaranteed to be top 10 just because there is really no downside to playing it and it has such utility for all kinds of different things error control deck control and all kinds of stuff like that disruption um you know, all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see if what we get in a future set is some like variation on it, sort of like we've seen now where we've had cards that have been like, oh, this is a version of like an older powerful card, but with a bit more of a twist to it, something that makes it behave a little bit differently. Um, sort of like all the variations on Control the Week from House Dis that we've seen over the years. I'd be curious to see if we see sort of like an Infernus Light or sure. something that uh, that changes the way that Infernus operates. What if it was a one-sided thing where you had to purge your own cards with Infernus uh, or a style like that? You couldn't choose your opponents, but you still got the power in the purge. Is that a card mm. you would play? That's the kind of card that I feel a deck strategy would be built around. Like if that was yeah. a card, then I would have to plan to make sure that my deck m- merged well with that strategy. But I think it would be a great strategy. I've often thought about that. Like you, you purge your opponent's cards, but I, I sometimes wonder if there's, if it actually, there's some, and I'm sure some people do do this where you actually ignore your opponent's key cards and you focus on your own mm-hmm. and you, and you just start purging things. The The only downside to this whole conversation is that not having Amber pips in your deck is something that, that kind of hurts. But if you kind of didn't use it as, like a amber control card and more as an efficiency card so you're like okay if i remove these cards from my deck and i can continuously do this i'm then creating a situation where over the course of a game 
I will actually benefit more from being able to just cycle faster because then I get everything back sooner and certain cards that are really potent become seen more frequently. So therefore, in the long run, it's like going to be a much better play. So it's like a short-term loss for the long-term game. I've, I've always wondered if anyone has a deck that they specifically target in Furnaces in that regard. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question for you guys. In a sealed environment, I know we haven't been able to play much Mass Mutation sealed. Are you looking for Infernus and do you plan for your opponent to have Infernus in their deck if they're playing a disc deck? Interestingly, this kind of factors into something that I was thinking about in preparation for this episode, which is a conversation that I had with uh, a, a local player, Daniel B. What's up, Daniel? Um, <laughs> about Infernus back when it first came out, where I was like, man, this is going to make me not want to play Gruens. I'm not going to want to play like um, uh, Fertility Chant. I'm not going to want to play all these high amber cards, uh, Virtuous Works, etc. And he was like, you have to still play them. Like there's a chance that your opponent does hit the Infernus and like does cause you to lose four Amber off the Fertility Chant or two Amber off of the the Gruen or three Amber off the Virtuous Works. But there's also a chance they don't. So, you know, you can't throw them in your discard because that's still a target for Infernus. You just have to play them and you kind of have to accept the fact that Infernus is part of the environment and you might get hit with it. And so better to try and get to that key and hopefully spend the Amber before you can get hit with the Infernus and, and taken down. And I've generally taken that advice to heart. I find that I think in, especially with unfound or Unfathomable Dark Tidings now, the Gruens in Dark Tidings, the Deepwater ones specifically, actually put a greater credence on that sort of ideology because there is actually no downside you get the two ember a worst case scenario is you lose the two ember that's all it comes down to where i guess with fertility chant there's the opponent still has a gain but at the end of the day you're gaining four ember and it's up to them to have the response for that so i i think it's it's kind of interesting uh that line of thought and i actually really like the the new card i think it's um forgive or forget where it says archive two different card types from your discard pile i absolutely love that card as a way to counter allowing things to be in your discard because you can literally just like play stuff and then throw that down afterwards or the following turn to put it in your archive so it's no longer a target for things like infernus i find that card has a lot of value as like a bit of a counter uh any closing thoughts on infernus before we move on with the show I don't think it's the boogeyman that everyone claims for it to be, but it is the meta. Like it is part of the meta for Infernus to be available to a person to to use it in any of the flexible ways that are available. So it's something that is going to still be around for a while, even though it's not printed in Dark Tidings. Yeah, I just feel that it's, I think that there's been some vocal opinions about it being this uh, this boogie monster and it's, mainly because maybe in the heat of a post-game feels-bad moment, someone decides to go somewhere and have a hot take on it, and then it just kind of creates a discussion from there, and then maybe someone else is then reminiscing about a similar feels-bad moments, and you just get a conversation going that way. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone is going to really do anything other than uh, share their opinion on uh, something that they were not a fan of. It'll still exist, and it will still do its thing, and we'll still play around it. Big thanks to VaultBoy81 for uh, uh, leaving a comment on our, our our Discord that actually inspired this whole episode. So, shouts out to VaultBoy. Ooh, can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. It's called... Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. 
I have one for us this week, and it actually builds off something I was just talking about, uh, that conversation that I had with Daniel way back when about Infernus and kind of having to play the cards that you have, um, regardless of what your opponent may have. And that's a, a thing that I think about very frequently. It's a piece of advice that I think about very frequently, which is the you can play sort of a galactic brain game where you look at your opponent's deck list or you surmise what the opponent might have in their deck in a sealed environment. And you try and sort of like four-dimensional way overthink things to a point where you're no longer able to actually make decisions it just contributes to analysis paralysis and at a certain point although i don't recommend that you play reckless or play stupid you just have to play the cards that you have in your hand and yeah there may be a strong possibility that your opponent has the counter but there's also a strong possibility that your opponent doesn't and that's kind of why it's a game if it was always like the same set of variables in play then games would just work out basically the same way every single time um so really sometimes you just have to cut through that gordian knot style and just play the cards that you have without overthinking too badly about ways in which you might get punished for playing those cards um obviously there are some decks that you if you know what your opponent is playing you might know what their strategy is if you've played against that deck previous times and of course it's never foolish to try and play against that but at the same time you know if you don't know then accept the fact that you don't know and play to the best of your ability anyway Good advice. All right. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and The Crucible as Scuzzy Gruen. Sydney, where can they find you? And please tell us about the exciting stuff you have going on because it's really exciting. <laughs> I, I I should think so. So I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord, and I have been working so hard on Keyforge Live. Again, shout out to the uh, Podcast Archons Corner because it has been such a team effort to get all of this together. It is coming along so nicely. So Keyforge Live is an event that we're throwing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 23rd through 25th at the Four Points by Sheridan Milwaukee Airport. It's going to be as much of a large competitive event as as, as we can put together. We have um, three-deck Archon Survival on Friday, Sealed Mass Mutation on Saturday, and a team event on Sunday, as well as side events are coming together and volunteers are stepping up and we have t-shirts available now and registration is actually already up. So I think we'll we'll put a link in the show notes for that. And actually by the time this drops, we'll also have the hotel block. So we do have some rooms available at the hotel itself at a discounted price so that people can wake up and wander downstairs and play some Keyforge. So it is super exciting and I'm I'm very happy that it's going as well as it is. That is super exciting. Blake, where can they find you? What have you got going on? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake. And on my YouTube currently, I have decided to open up a box of AOA, which I did. And to make AOA more fair, I actually took all the decks and then I started pairing them based on similar house combinations. So you couldn't have one that was underbalanced. And then I had people just speak up and decide which pairing they wanted to be a part of. And I've been opening them up as I do in a would you rather style and then letting my guest on the episode choose which deck they want to play and we play adaptive and I record the the event and we uh, put it on my YouTube and it's been a lot of fun connecting with people in the community been a great episode make sure that you check out the show notes for a link to our discord where all kinds of help from future self listeners friends players all get together to talk about KeyForge. there's also going to be a link there for the upcoming event that uh sydney just told us about however we got to get out of here until then yeah.
Stay tuned.